0: Three, two, one. Hello
1: everybody and welcome back to Blockchain Won't Save the World. It's another Students React video and we're going long haul today. We've got students from New Zealand who are going to talk through three really different and really interesting projects and give you their perspectives on what they're already working on in blockchain technology it's early for me, it's late for them, but we're still hopefully going to put together a really good show. We've got Troy, Abenau and Mina. We're going to talk about three different projects, Cardano, Monax, and property management. Troy, let's start us off. Give us some introduction to who you are, what you're studying, and let's get straight into the show.
0: Great. Thanks, Anthony. appreciate it. And, uh, thank you for the time to be able to share. And so I'm a uh, Troy Egan, so um, I'm studying here at the University of Auckland here in New Zealand, and the area I'm studying in is looking at how peer-driven production can be applied to the transmedia storytelling space, so that's big franchises and how they tell stories across different media forms, and so that got me into the topic of discussion that I'm bringing to the table today, and so that's our Project Catalyst, and this is on the Cardano blockchain, this was a project that came on my radar probably about middle of last year about no sorry july 2020. so i had been uh, doing research on different crypto platforms and particularly interested in uh, the idea of distributed funding and how this might disrupt you know the typical entrepreneurial route of trying to self fund or you know build up price points through your own products or go through vcs and so i was real fascinated to find there was a project in development at the time that was community-driven and open to the idea of this new form of blockchain governance. And so what is Project Catalyst? It's a series of experiments which seeks to generate the highest levels of community and innovation. Catalyst is bringing on-chain governance to the Cardano blockchain by allowing the community to self-determine priorities for growth. And it also lets participants deploy funding to proposals which tackle challenges and capitalise on opportunities. So to do this, they've deployed a series of funds over six weeks. August of 2020 was when they first did an experimental fund and started kicking off the project. So in its history, it was a public fund developed by IOHK, founded on the Cardano blockchain. It's the first developed by IOHK, which supports the scalability, interoperability, and sustainability needed for real-world applications. So when they launched the Cardano token, which we know as ADA, a portion of that was put aside and uh, planning to be implemented to be able to grow out the blockchain and various developments on there with the power of the community. So having community input in terms of what they were going to be able to propose and also be able to vote on. So the CEO of our Cardano Foundation describes Cardano as democratizing the process of consensus and governance, and its long-term vision is to enable the economic empowerment for those who need it most. So they do have a vision on how we are able to support developing nations in the world and um, provide platforms and uh, opportunities for them. So, Cardano's catalyst uh, funds, again, they're six weekly. They tend to double in value over time as well. Fund one, being experimental, had zero funds. Fund two had a quarter of a million US in the funding kitty. Then, fund three went up to 500,000. Fund four is at a million. And currently, we're up to fund eight, which is still in the proposal phase. And that's currently up to $16 million. So it's projected that over every six-week period that the fund will be doubling in value. Uh, so there's a possibility in six weeks' time we'll be looking at uh, the launch of Fund 9, which would be relatively around $32 million, which is you know, a, a fund that communities around the world can vie for through proposals. And the last fund, which was Fund 7, 269 projects were funded. Uh, these funds are held under Treasury as a percentage of the aid minted. That initially was put aside, and the future vision is being able to take that funding out of our stake you know, fees from stake activity. So it's a proof of stake blockchain. And so some of the funds will be a type of tax, I guess, and that'll be put back into the, the kitty for future catalyst funding rounds. Uh, so, what it's doing at the moment, so just a general breakdown, for instance, of Fund 8, which is just still rolling out at the moment. So, registration for that began on January 6th of this year. So then you have a, a submissions open that for the general public on February 24th. They will close on roughly March 3rd. Uh, so people were able to put in proposals recently, and now they're in a review pr- process. So people are refining the proposals. Then they'll be finalizing th- them next week, and then they'll close. After that, the community will be able to vote on April 14th, and then the voting process will end on April the 28th. So roughly that. That six-week period is uh, generally from the registration process through to the voting end. And then rewards are distributed. So there's various forms of incentivization in the program around how people are able to receive rewards for voting, receive rewards for being community advisors. And community advisors' roles are basically give feedback and support to proposals that are in, in the pool at the time. And each fund has a different focus area. So these have been building out over time. So as the funds are getting bigger, there's, they're able to attach more different focus areas. So for instance, the key areas of focus are developer ecosystems. So, so building out ecosystems within the network, building out dApps and integrations within the network, having initiatives around distributed decision-making, having proposer outreach and catalyst onboarding programs, metadata challenges, and then specialist sort of campaigns that that roll out, including ones around growing out Cardano in Africa or multilingual resources. So in terms of participation, there's various ways to participate from the get-go. So a person could go to cardano.ideascale.com right now and be able to start instantly participating in the process. That may include entering a proposal of your own. So if a person has an idea that they think will be of benefit, Either to grow up Cardano in terms of sharing it with communities, or even if they've just got a good idea they think will be of social benefit to the world, there's an opportunity to be able to do that through the proposal process. And the key is kind of tying your proposal to the campaign requirements, whatever they're looking for. And then there's an opportunity to be a community advisor. So if you're not putting in a proposal, you can be a community advisor, give feedback about the proposal process. You can also, there's a referrer program as well, where it's incentivized for people to go out and reach out and say, Hey, I heard about your idea. Like one of you guys, I heard about your idea tonight. You know, why don't you um, try this out on, on Cardano and see if that might work out as well? And also, the voting um, system is also part of the way that we can participate, which just requires having a Cardano ADA wallet and regist- going through a registration process. Where might catalyst go? What are some of the pros and cons? So, the transfers of the wealth to the doers and to the reviewers and the maintainers of the system is kind of one of the slogans that's come up through DOOR. Now, DOOR, he's head of product governance. He's someone we've been watching since the beginning. He's uh, been a person who's helped um, you know lead and guide the community from when it had 50,000. I, I think actually the way I got involved in it was in about Fund Three. We started putting in some proposals around that time. Uh, some of the proposals were successful. And so, what tended to happen is there's a be be a weekly town hall so you'd sit in this town hall and get together and 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 different successful funds will be able to share about what they've been up to and how they're progressing on their projects and then you get updates about what's happening and the space coming up so that's a weekly town hall that's constantly happening it's on youtube for project catalyst so that's a way we can get updates and and it's kind of good because they outline right at the beginning they kind of got the slogan that they they have as a part of it. it's welcome to the experiment just remember that things may break they may lack documentation they may differ greatly between iterations they may disorient overload and inspire which is just this constant reminder that this we're persisting in this experimental space from my experience you know we're working on a project for 5 months um I had to kind of like step back from the project for various reasons, the main one being to keep up work on my PhD. That was getting way behind. But just going from the beginning of a project where everyone has an idea, you're jumping into a pool with a group of people you've never met before. Everyone's putting up their hands and there's a lot of enthusiasm. And then as you progress through a project, you notice uh, when you're hitting different hurdles that it can be quite a challenge to, to find ways to equitably try to uh, navigate everyone's needs within the space as well, which which has has its difficulties. But the good thing about Project Catalyst is it, it has kind of been founded on that ethos from the beginning. So this community is about experimentation. It's about working together. It's about being able to support the network and being able to be funded for it. I think that's one of the exciting benefits about Project Catalyst for me is, is it provides people all over the world this democratised opportunity to enter the blockchain space to forward ideas, even if it's not your ideas, to contribute to other people's ideas and possibly to be able to get that funded and see where that might go. So, yeah, so I've been part of this for over a year, stood back, but I'm I'm, I'm very interested in watching the development of Project Catalyst. I recommend people just checking it out and seeing, you know, what's sort of happening in the Cardano space. I'm interested also in seeing what crossovers it has and what other blockchains are doing something similar. So, that's just a bit about uh, Project Catalyst and, and my involvement. So, yeah, thank you. Brilliant
1: start, Troy. Thank you so much for that. And, and genuinely, really, really interesting model. I mean, you asked other blockchains doing this. I mean, the concept of having a treasury and growing and scaling the ecosystem is pretty common to most of the large layer ones and layer twos. And if you look at some of the funding that's being made available, you know, the treasuries for some of these, these protocols are near enough a billion dollars to go and spend. Mm. I mean, when you talk about the kind of doubling and doubling and doubling, and we're up to 16 or $32 million now, that's not small change, right? That's, you know, venture capitals, you know, or some of the early stage guys don't bring anywhere near that. So Mm. from my perspective, it's, it's really interesting. I'm wondering, it feels like we're starting to get into the realms of decentralized autonomous organizations. So DAOs, this to me feels at this stage, like a process where you're, You've got incentivization, you've got automation, you've got voting around allocation of funds. But Mm. some some of the themes or some of the concepts of what Cardano wants at this time is being driven from themselves rather than the community. At this time, Mm. they're still dictating what they would like to have developed because they can see how it's all shaping up. And maybe that's not as well known to everybody else in the ecosystem. Mm. But as you've been involved with Project Catalyst, or you've been on the town halls and doing some of the reading and listening, is this kind of a precursor to Cardano being fully autonomous and decentralized as a protocol? Where do you see this direction of travel at the moment?
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. So yeah, Cardano essentially started out on a centralized sort of model of, of governance, so when their roadmap, they've got these five stages that are progressing over a series of roughly five years or so. We're in the middle stage, sort of, and they're named after famous mathematicians within the space. And so we're in the Gogan sort of phase. And this is the era of smart contracts. And there's all these sub phases. So the phase we're working up to is Basho, which is the fifth a stage in the roadmap, and that and that's around full decentralization. This is handing handing over the reins of Project Catalyst to the community, and so even now we're seeing this sort of process where it is very community and human centric. So the decision making can be quite messy. You know, we're trying to navigate a space which, as you know, crypto can be quite a controversial in terms of who's got opinions and who's got factions. So there's all the human element that goes on with it, especially when you're speaking about DAOs. Is this this, sort of, um, this hope and ideal and the no- the notion of having a, a machine-driven consensus mechanisms and contracts where we can just jump in and, and the system's already organized and, and we just play our part and participate. So Project Catalyst isn't up to that yet. We're still very much in this proposal-driven, hey, I think this, this is a problem. Here's how we could solve it. And so you've got this mesh of comp- basically a competitive environment where people are in, a, in an environment for contestable funding and so there may potentially be and i'm interested in seeing you know around this fund and the you know the upcoming fund about what sort of shifts are we going to be looking at in terms of scalability in terms of what size funding packages proposals can ask for because up until now we'd be looking at probably the max proposal funds i'd seen previously have been something around the 150,000 mark for a project and some of the levels of scalability we're looking at, you know, require just a multitude of different resources. And because the space is what it is, innovation, innovation in, in areas that are new, that are new frontiers that haven't, haven't been um, opened yet. So I'm interested to see what that's going to mean in terms of larger scale projects coming on, because I, I imagine in terms of scalability, we're going to have to start looking at some bigger scale projects and how how they will be pitched within the community at the moment. People will put in a little fund for this part of the project, a little fund for that part of the project. And we're also looking around quality assurance as an as a issue that's been popping up and, and how do we ensure that the KPIs are being met in an efficient manner and, and all those sort of issues are still being worked out on the human scale. And so, yeah, I'm very interested to see how it's developing. And And just to conclude, yes, you're right, even uh Foundation uh, stepped up recently to say, look, we because we're part of the ecosystem, we do we are putting our votes on the table. We are going to have a vote in the system, and they'll outline that it's going to be this amount of ADA. So, uh, and we'll only vote on these particular topics. So they don't they don't put in proposals or votes around just the general campaigns out there. Their m- main focus is in the future direction, and that's around the community development proposals. So they've outlined, yes, we, we are still going to maintain a, a vote, but. And they're quite transparent about what areas that will affect. Absolutely brilliant. Really interesting to see this one develop. I mean,
1: as with Cardano, I mean, they are famous for empirical, staged, peer-reviewed, very deliberate moves. And this journey isn't done. There's clearly a huge amount more to do, but really interesting start. I'm going to bring in Abenor and Mina. Guys, do you have any questions for Troy or you know, do you like what you've heard? Uh, what are your reflections on on Project Catalyst and the work
2: that they're doing? Sounds really interesting, I would say. I knew about uh, Cardano, but I never knew about this side of the community proposals and so on. Uh, well, the idea just comes to my mind at the moment is what kind of proposals are out there. I think I just want to have a look at that and see what kind of discussions go on. And uh, the process does sound fairly fair in terms of how much Cardano is involved uh, in terms of their proposals, what they're looking at. So yeah, that sounds interesting. Thanks for sharing that, Roy.
0: Mm, thanks Evan all.
3: Same here. Very interested to hear about a new domain that I haven't known about that before. However, I just uh, have a little bit question about the so whether the volatility of the cryptocurrency impact on this the outcome of this project, and then mm. for whether it impact on the expected returns for the community.
2: Yes,
0: that's a good question. I mean you know one of the way they factored that into the funding process is that they peg so when we are making a proposal it's in US dollars so uh we're not looking for funding proposals whether they're in ada or a cryptocurrency so it's in US dollars but because there is a period of time between when the proposal submitted and when the voting rounds finish that amount will still be given to the uh successful proposer in ada at the agreed upon amount that they had proposed for. So that means it just takes up the slack. So if ADA goes higher, then you get less amount of ADA, or if ADA goes lower, then you'll get more amount of ADA, but it will be equal to the US amount that you would ask for in the proposal. Yes, and, and I'm guessing each proposal will have to have a strategy around how to how to manage its funds when it comes in. You know, so so we've got a range of individuals making proposals, and then you'll have whole teams who are already established on other ecosystems or outside of blockchain. So each of them will have to have some sort of strategy. At the moment, the strategy, the group I was part of was to stake. So we'd agreed that whatever funds are sitting there would just allow that to stake while it's doing its thing until. Uh, further notice, but yeah, that's kind of how how the approach has been so far, Mina.
1: Obviously, the breaking down of project economics is one thing, but actually the volatility or the potential kind of downside upside, and then also the staking benefits on top. You know, if you're getting staking rewards and upside in your in your project once you've got the allocation, really good news for you guys. And that funds can go further. Mm. Other way around, right? As we've seen lately, we see a little bit of a dip, things go down, but at least you've got the us dollar i don't say real world because that suggests that that crypto doesn't (laughs) exist in the real world it's not magical internet money it does have a value but the volatility there can be offset because you're pegging it to something that people still pay their taxes their mortgages and their groceries in for the time being so when we live in a world where everything is paid for in ada it might become a slightly different way of thinking about it but hopefully things will be less volatile by that stage yeah i agree troy one absolutely awesome start to the show Abhinav, I'm going to bring you in next. I believe
2: you want to talk about Monax. Take it away. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you so much. Hello, everyone. I'm Abhinav. First of all, full disclaimer, I am not a programmer or a developer, and my educational background is mainly civil engineering and construction project management. I really got into blockchain research after Brands, which is the New Zealand's Building Research Association, mentioned about uh, how they were interested in researching to understand where blockchain can change the construction industry and uh, since then i've been exploring blockchain technology for information systems mainly in construction projects and uh, which has been the subject of my phd research for a few years now so the blockchain project that i want to talk about is called monax as anthony mentioned and uh, before i get into it i want to give you a heads up on what i'll be covering so in the next few minutes i'll share what is monax why does it exist and of course uh, how does it work and uh, finally uh, what does the future of monax look like and uh, what does this mean for us right so let's get into it monax is essentially a contracts lifecycle management platform that is powered by blockchain so it is not really a technical innovation in terms of the blockchain science of things but uh, what is interesting about it is the application of the technology itself it was founded by cassie cullman in 2014 who's got a background of basically he's a lawyer and uh, also a software engineer with some experience in uh, legal process management, smart contracts, and DAOs, uh, decentralized autonomous organizations. So yeah, that's something about Monax. Why does it exist? So what problem does it solve? Well, today's legal agreements are quite complex with uh, legal terms, which can get quite convoluted. And anyone who's pretty much worked in any industry can just try and recall a typical client contract agreement. And uh, you can just imagine that the thought itself is a bit painful. So what Monax does is it replaces the old age-old physical paper-bound contracts with smarter digital alternatives. So it lets essentially businesses create bite size agreements that are easy to deploy and uh, track over their life cycle. So it allows the automation of tasks also like uh, for payment renewals, approvals and so on. Essentially, what it offers is at the end of the day, that businesses have more efficient workflows that they operate in. So the next question, how does it work? So uh, let's talk about in terms of the front end and then get to what's under the hood. So as a non-programmer, what I find is the best part about Monax is that it doesn't start with me opening Microsoft Visual Code or what I use, Atom. But it starts from something like Microsoft Word documents, which is essentially where the contracts were originally written. That's where that's how it kind of deals with things, and it also currently it is integrated with tools like Google Drive and also automation tools like Zapier, uh, making it accessible to thousands of online tools for creating these work processes. So under the hood, the developers at Monax have kind of built something called as a, a business process modeller, which translates legal agreements that the ones that we know into computer code and uh, it connects individual terms of the agreements to smart contracts on the blockchains therefore based on these smart contracts it can essentially facilitate the uh, automation of the complex agreements which have multiple dependencies and then as an event uh, kind of trigger the on-chain transactions which needs to happen so Their contract lifecycle management system is natively built on chain. And uh, a fun fact is that actually Monax introduced world's first permissioned smart contracting system for enterprise called Hyperledger Borough in 2014. So Monax is powered by this blockchain, which is essentially a proof of stake mechanism. And it can also be configured to kind of interoperate with both public and private blockchains. And uh, since last year, Monax is now connected to other public blockchains like Ethereum through something what they call as a beacon uh, that's kind of proprietary to them. So that's kind of how uh, Monax functions. Now getting to the last part of my section, which is uh, what is the future of Monax and uh, why should we care? Well, Monax is mainly targeted towards small to medium-sized businesses. It kind of provides the ability for these businesses to self-onboard onto their platforms in contrast to something similar, which is DocuSign, which charges about thousands of dollars to start using their products. And as a matter of fact, DocuSign has now kind of changed their focus from small to medium to larger enterprises. So this is perfect for if if that's what you're then it's perfect that you use Monax. Also, it has got a very simple front end that you can use. And uh, it can also be leveraged within your existing workflows, and it kind of gives that guarantee that there's low-code integration that is needed. Another thing that it it has ventured into is linking the legal agreements to NFTs. All of us know NFTs at the moment now and what Monarchs believe is that NFTs essentially are properties or assets and assets have always been secured by agreements. So as NFTs move from this uh, digital art to digital decentralized finance, and uh, uh, now they're moving towards tokenized real-world property. Monax wants to help users kind of secure those high-value assets on-chain using their platform and the services. So they kind of are trying to build this middle layer between the legal system and uh, the smart contracts that go on the blockchain. And so what is it planning for the future? And so essentially they're working on tackling issues around Token distributions, and uh, we know how crazy that can get, and trying to bring some legal ground to that, and also they're looking at uh, powering the decentralized autonomous organizations, which are kind of considered as the you know service layer of this new Web3 that is coming up. So that's that's what Monax project is about, and uh, it has been really exciting for me because construction projects are known for these gigantic legal documents, and something like this, when you can break it down into small pieces of Contracts that go on the blockchain and uh, have that business processes efficiency improve. That is something which is amazing on construction projects. It improves not only the time, the productivity, but also it kind of kicks in that cash flow, which has always been an issue in construction projects. Yeah, hopefully that gives you a reasonably good understanding of Monax and its purpose. Uh, thank you so much.
1: Absolutely brilliant. Another fascinating one here. And I mean, this one hits me and a few different levels because you've got. Um, the construction industry, which is large, complex, multifaceted, huge, big program managers, governments, right down to individual small you know, SMEs, tradespeople working on projects. So the level of digitization is going to be massively varying top to bottom. I'll come back to that in a minute. You've got a hybrid blockchain, right? So for, for those working B2B, you've still got the permission nature of knowing who you're dealing with, but at the same time, you know, it's not a blockchain if it isn't public, some might say so you've actually got the crossover of it there particularly you're starting to talk about DAOs. you've got securitization of contracts right so the ability to tokenize an agreement that you have to be able to get funding for your business ahead of time super interesting the legal elements of it as well so you're getting into kind of code is law smart contracts you know are enabling the facilitation of things happening these are all the components i think of things we love about working in blockchain and web3 the challenge for me all right. And this is why there's so much research being poured into this, is that the construction industry in general is historically very, very manual, very right. different degrees of digital maturity from the project managers at the top down to thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of SMEs working on the projects at the bottom. And some more complexity underneath that as well, in terms of, depending on how ethical you see this, but a lot of contracts will be managed through disputes so actually the ability for the layer one or the the tier one contractors to actually delay payments to squeeze those further down on the project there's an incentive for them not to be transparent there's an incentive for them not to be as digital and mature and efficient as possible because that affects their margin so sure. there's, some, there's some human dynamics, there's some professional dynamics in there as well, which I'm not suggesting that every construction project out there is bent. I'm not suggesting that this is a project everywhere all of the time, but the fact that Monarchs are showing how that can work or that there is a way of doing this and it is legally sound, it is inter- integratable into things like Microsoft Word or basic workflows that we already have, that we can we can have non-technical people build contracts that are simple that have simple rules using things like word it's really really great for me i love this stuff genuinely so abenal thank you very much for that really really great that's my 10 cents but troy mina do you guys want to come in on this one get any thoughts reactions reflections
0: yeah if i could just yeah share some so 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 i think a bit, a big thing for me you know even you know spending some time in the cardano space has been this idea of adoption you know you'd mentioned that, you know, there's various levels of, you know, uh, digital adoption within the construction space. So for you, yourself, Evanor, what are some of the, uh, I guess, uh, hurdles or challenges uh, you've seen in terms of adoptability, you know, in the space? Is this going to be restricted to certain tiers of workers within construction? Or, uh, you know, is there opportunities for, for greater adaptability in terms of the types of depths that are being created? Yeah, what what sort of, Opportunities or hurdles do
2: you see in terms of adoption for people within the construction industry? Sure, no, yeah, that's that's a very good question. And I just pick up from where Anthony left in terms of his comments. One of the things that we always talk about is which you mentioned, construction industry is one of those industries which is very hard to kind of move into the digital space. And uh, I believe, I, at a certain point, I believe that it is the industry which is not picking it up later realized that, in fact, we're the second worst industry in in that aspect. The first one is the legal industry. It was was a few more paces behind the construction industry in terms of the digitization and so on. Troy, good question there. And that is actually one of the things that I'm looking into in my research as well, because my research is mainly about the application of blockchain itself. And I really don't have enough credentials to kind of research the science of blockchain itself. Having said that, one of the things that has kind of promoted a lot of digital revolution automation within the construction space i can probably add within construction manufacturing spaces that uh, the idea of digital twins which has come up and uh, that is a huge driver for you know the fact of, of the thought that you first build something digitally before you build the thing physically and that kind of promotes this idea of now you've got this digital document or digital model that you're associating your role facility you're building or the product that you're building and once you have that it kind of opens up many channels for connecting it with technologies such as iot and blockchain and so on so this is something which is a wheel in motion obviously like you said the, the industry is well in new zealand at least it's, it's kind of a few paces back the leaders within this segment or within this sector of you know digitization i would look at is probably the uk or the u.s where there is a lot of traction in terms of getting this digital processes in place and integrating other tools around it. The most important hurdles which I've seen for construction industry is mainly the industry kind of always looks at what the other people are doing. When I'm in the industry, the users within the industry. And uh, what I've kind of realized when I've spoken to people around in the industry is if somebody else or if there is an ex-contractor you know, or a, a consultant who's using certain service, then they would think about doing it. And the, that's why there's always some leaders. And then you know, there are these laggards who kind of follow them. So because of the traditional nature of the industry, I feel it, it's always, it comes down to the people who need to make those decisions about what needs to be adopted to kind of, for the industry to move forward. And well, needless to say, the finances are always the guiding point. As long as something shows that there is profit, there is enough, I don't know what to call it, but yeah, something that really improves their uh, financial statement, then that is when things start to, you know, take real shape in the industry. So yeah, does it answer your question, I guess? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. No problem. Um,
3: The idea of coding the law into the smart contract is really cool. But I think it's also a real challenge as well, because the law is not A equal to B. The law is has a lot of exception, a lot of charter and then sub-articles. So I think um, it's possible, but it also challenging with that part. And then I think the sensing between the actual laws and the uh, law that will be coded into the smart contract going to be a quite challenging process so this is my comment yep thank you for sharing
2: no that's that's absolutely true uh, before i close anthony just to comment on that in fact so one of the things that i've spoken about with um, other other colleagues about smart contracts or even the even uh, the idea of converting this traditional contract into smart contracts is if you boil down a traditional contract it kind of comes down to that essence of if-then statements like how you would write a program so that is what needs to be the guiding uh, what do you call idea behind of that conversion from the traditional contract smart contracts how do you make sure that you get to a point where you can interpret those contracts to very simple if-then statements which then could be you know coded into a smart contract that's very important i think another thing is um, for many activities or many events that happen in a construction project you have external information which kind of validate the events or trigger following events. So those need to be, there needs to be a mechanism. Well an easy example is IoT devices, which can then, you know, probably track progress on a construction site and then send back information to the smart contract, which can then trigger the next event or the next stage of the project of the of the contract. So yeah, that's that's something which is a very plausible idea for looking at getting from what we have at the moment to something which is more automated and which runs on smart contracts on blockchain so yeah thank you
1: another really interesting one and again it comes down to the application of technology in the real world and our ability to define things clearly and like you said you're picking two of the least digitized industries to then start with blockchain or start applying blockchain technology into super super interesting and really interesting to follow the research and and please do keep us posted with how you think this is rolling out or any exciting projects and initiatives that happen in new zealand or further afield because the more we can see great examples of what's happening the more people will believe it's possible and the more we can get those things rolled out mina you've been waiting patiently really interested to hear more about the work that you're doing the floor is yours please take it away sure thank you very much
3: Uh, firstly thank you for offering me this opportunity to meet new people and talk about the blockchain. My name is Mina I'm a PhD candidate at the Department of Information System and Operation Management at the University of Oakland. And I have been developing blockchain-based solutions for property management. Today, that's why I'm excited to talk uh, about one of the blockchain application in the property management that have been implemented and used by the UK government, the Digital Trees Project. And uh, this project had been carried on by the HM Land Registry, which is a department of the UK government. And uh, the, the... HM Land Registry, they affirm that they are exploring how blockchain technology could be used to provide, to provide quicker and simpler services. However, they don't disclose the details of their project. So, lots of my talk today might be just a guess of my understanding. And because I have been working on the similar things uh, solutions for property management, so I'm just guessing and guessing. So, please feel free to correct me after or discuss with me. So in this project, they intend to use blockchain applications such as distributed ledgers, smart contract, and they expect that it can fundamentally change the land registration and property buying selling process. And uh, they uh, choose blockchain because of, its, uh, of some unique feature of the technology. For example, the uh, security, privacy, interpol, um, interaction ability, and this um, smart contract they said initially uh, designed for financial services only could be excellent fit to be expand to do the transaction for the land registration and also buying selling property as well. So the first question come to my mind is why the UK government choose to launch this project because blockchain is quite new technology that the government still um, fund and started to implement. Uh, project which uh, still quite a lot of controversial uh, controversies uh, around blockchain then i think trade back to the history london was one of the earliest international financial center so this project is potentially a trial for the establishment of a novel international property trading center so is it possible that uh, an hm land registry is a government department Uh, so uh, they have been execute agency and trading funds and its running costs are covered by the fees paid by the user of its services so by launching a new international property trading center they also can improve the fees paid and uh, expand their services to become the world-leading land registry so they because they did not provide the detail of the description. So, in my opinion, this land registry system will allow participants to carry on both the buying selling land transaction and registration for the ownership as well. So in this case, the uh, tokens they might use it for not only. Encrypt the information of the transactions, but they might use as a financial tool to make the payment as well, however, in their statement, they also mentioned that the bank is going to be one of the participant of the system, so which means they they doesn't eliminate the assist of the bank so. In this case, probably they also allow the uh, traditional way of payments with the bank only be the third party for finalizing the transactions. So I think there's pros and cons of this type of uh, application of blockchain. The pros, of course, we know that blockchain has multiple advantages, right? Such as immutability, traceability, uh, privacy, interacting uh, between peer reviews and uh, when implementing uh, blockchain technology, the digital trees project takes on all the advantage. But however, I think there's quite a lot of risk in building up such a, a project regarding the land registration and also when expanding it into a large scales because of some concerns. For example, the immutability, whether it is it real immutability, we need to think about it. Uh, right, because it's still there's uh, some attack on the large scale uh, transaction to, to prove that it's not uh, 100% immutability uh, technology. However, compared to the general computing techniques, I believe that the hash function in blockchain would have to prevent lots of popular attacks and it can wipe out a large amount of general attacks. Also, another big challenge I, can, I think lies on the legal challenge because CloudChain is an emerging technology that requires further research to provide an appropriate legal framework that can effectively manage this type of transaction. And uh, when we implement the DAO into the execution of the transaction, then it raises multiple questions regarding the legal responsibility. For example, if one transaction relates to the, let's say, money laundering organization, Then whether the responsibility belongs to DAO itself or the environment is executed or difficult individual is quite hard to define. And so that's why I I think this project is really amazing uh, application of blockchain and quite a lot of potential, but at the same time, a lot of challenge that require further research so. That is my impression about blockchain. Uh, I myself believe in blockchain and I believe that later we can work out the way to resolve on the challenge and uh, make blockchain become, uh, we, we make out the best of the blockchain to serve our purpose.
1: Love that, Mina. And this is a really great case study for talking around, right, because what, what you've done is you've identified a number of the different considerations here on what are the problems we're trying to solve, how does technology address it and what are the implications of the technology that we choose? So, you know, first and foremost, land registries are typically less digitized, a lot of old paper documentation and great that you chose the UK. I appreciate that. The country of my birth. So really nice to see a UK example hop up here. And I do know a few people who've been involved in a digital street project. So if we've got some questions, we can go back to them and see if we can get some answers to that. For me, blockchain as a ledger, as a tamper-proof ledger, is a technology It's a capability that we know blockchain is good at. You know, in this particular case, are they looking to digitize and automate paper records? If that's the case, blockchain isn't the only technology that you can use. Are they looking to create the efficiency around the transactions, you know, where you've got multiple parties, a land registry, banks, lenders, individuals, companies, you know, it, it doesn't feel necessarily like it's a cross-border type of process, right? So you're not dealing with multiple governments, you're not necessarily dealing with multiple international banks. I, I don't know, actually, might be worth kind of digging into that a little bit more. So the the multi-party nature of it is interesting. Immutability in the Dow element, I really like too. You you've you put up a really good point there because does this process need to be decentralized? Because if you look at a land registry, it's a government authority, it's centralized. There's an authority appointed by the government to do the job of managing the land that is made available. So from the, does this process need decentralization? Possibly not. Does it need automation efficiency? Absolutely. There's another project that's worth checking out. It's an interesting named one. It's called Coadute. And they've been doing some really interesting work at the front end of that process with the solicitors mortgage lenders for uh, private individuals transactions to basically improve to shorten the process of getting the approvals um, and all of the relevant details to get your mortgage process complete which is a shared ledger of different approvals and different completion of transactions and multi-stage process that everybody needs to understand and have a view of at the same time that involves multiple banks that involves handovers of different things over time you know and their argument is that if you can reduce that time to approval from kind of three months to a few weeks or maybe even a few days if things go really efficiently it's really just the admin that gets in the way and if you can turn around properties quicker you can get more liquidity in the system you can get more money flowing and you can get more deals done and that's better for everybody Also, if you want to go in and buy a house, you don't have to wait three months. I mean, I've been through, I don't know how many mortgage renewals myself. It's not a fun process. It always feels like a black box. And if you can make more efficiency out of that, happy days. But coming back to the land registry, do go check out Coadute. Really interested in the work that they're doing. Back to your point here, it raises some really interesting questions. And the fact that they haven't necessarily gone to full blockchain productionization of what they've done suggests that they are in the same quandary. And further, minor point to add on top of this, there are other countries in the world where this could be applicable, but there are some other more meaningful challenges, such as, and i could take Malta as an example, because this example was given to me by some friends uh, who are based in Malta, not all of the land in Malta is perfectly mapped. So there is a proportion of land, which just, there isn't any data in the registry, or there isn't digitization of that onto a registry. So it's sort of a little bit in dispute or contentious or just not clear that all of the land available is then going to be on the ledger, digitizable, tokenizable if you want to. So you've got an incompleteness problem on top of that as well. And that might be another one that if you're gonna go and spend some money, you might wanna go and do that one first, right? I
3: think actually, yes. I think actually this project can solve a, a forcing problem is uh, information asymmetry. That's one definitely can resolve it when they implement blockchain solution provide a more transparent mechanism for all the involved party can assess uh, multiple part of information at the same time. And I think it's good to have to eliminate the principal agent problem. So yes, it's uh, definitely will deliver some sort of values and contribution.
1: Yeah, good, good one. I mean, th- there's another one, right? Your, your assessment mm-hmm. of this is brilliant because then the information asymmetry, if you take away the construction industry and the legal industry, Estate agents are probably number three on that list, or people who don't want transparency as well, right? In terms of you know they profit off information asymmetry too. So we're starting to understand the potential of this technology, but applying it into places where it's going to be really crunchy to try and get it in. I'm going to pause there because that's a lot of me time. Avanar, Troy, any reflections on what Mina's presented? Any kind of thoughts or questions as uh, you know as you re- reflect on what's just been said?
0: I think that the comment I just wanted to make that's quite interesting is this: this whole concept, you know, blockchains entering into is the idea of the digitization of everything. You know, it's a, it's a project that's been going on for a long time. Google and and you've got this sort of um, you know uh, co- collective projects such as in family histories, where they're going around and taking photos of you know uh, different you know cemeteries, especially in Ireland. You know, when there's a genealogical gap. With records and things like this, so I think it's really interesting. And so coming into Web three and this notion that now we've got rather than these distributed server clusters of information in the world, we're looking at the idea of distributing, you know, more equally around whoever's uh, you know, got the blockchain downloaded. Uh, you know, it, it always makes me think of. I'm excited about all the possibilities uh, around organisation because uh, I can't remember who said it, but I've heard someone say before that blockchain isn't a technology about you know money or cryptocurrency it's a technology about organization you know and to to think we're potentially moving into this next step of organization away from the internet where information is far more shared far more transparent you know uh, far more uh, potentially accessible i still can't in my head in an abstract way get out of the mat, that matrix green screen with all the code you know dripping down and green and all, all that sort of stuff so i'd be quite interested in, in seeing you know how these developments are going to come about in a way that is going to be is as, as accessible as the internet is for the common internet user you know, you know what i mean and for me there's still that gap you know to get there and i'm excited to see what how that's going to develop over the next couple of years. Hundred percent, and it's it's
1: it's got to come from somewhere, right? It's it's a benevolent government, or it's someone willing to cede control, because you know a lot of what we're trying to do with blockchain and Web three is is decentralization, disintermediation, and the original role of government in most cases is centralization, command, and control. There are some governments that are much better at understanding the role of decentralization. There's a number of countries that are organised very well that way. You look at the Netherlands, Germany, Switzerland, um, and there's there's a bunch of others. They are naturally leading more in use of blockchain technology in their countries because the concept of seeding control or equitable use of technology across a decentralized and distributed group of cantons or subgroups of of people, these countries were built that way. So it comes more naturally. If you look at the UK, love my country, but at the same time, the original imperial command and control economy. So from my perspective, blockchain has had less of a root in because it's not really in. The national dna i hope i'm proved wrong over the longer term on that but you, you know your point is there what's the incentive you know is it is it already inherent in the way that countries and organizations are governed or is there a strong incentive go okay, back to Avanal and the examples around contractors who's benefiting from getting paid earlier it's certainly not the, you know the cat the cash flow situation of the guys at the top tier it's the guys at the bottom so how are we going to get the guys at the top to feel the benefit and get a win-win for everybody in the community In a way, Troy, like your projects are describing, is where it's clear that everybody benefits from projects that are being put through. I'm going to give you kind of a last chance to close us out here. Any thoughts or reflections on what Mina's had to say?
2: Thank you for that, Mina. It was really interesting. Uh, I always kind of had this idea about or read about blockchain's impact towards property and so on, and this is a very interesting angle towards it. Just a thought that crosses my mind is, you know, when you talk about uh, the land registrations, which, like Anthony mentioned, kind of a part of a, a government organization to kind of oversee it and maintain the records for it. It's just a fact that but what I think of, I don't know if it is the right thought what I'm getting here, but it's like, you know, how you had currency in the beginning as well, which is kind of always the government's responsibility to kind of govern the flow of currency and maintain the cu- currency value and so on. But it is always pegged against another external Currency, let's say, because in the middle east is pegged on the U.S. dollar and so on. So I don't know if there is a value in blockchain for land registrations and so on. But then, if those records need to be be relied on, maybe there might, there might be a case for having a, a larger network, which kind of uh, makes sure that you know these records are validated or can be relied upon, like how currencies between countries are pegged against each other. I don't know, it's just a thought. So thanks for that, though.
3: I haven't uh, thought about that as well. Thank you for bringing it up. Probably needs to contract another new financial me- mechanism for difficulty blockchain transactions.
1: What an exciting discussion. Genuinely, really well-researched perspectives. Really interesting to hear that you guys are already working on this stuff today, that you're, you're taking a genuine interest in it. And hopefully those listening out there have learned something from this conversation i certainly have and i appreciate the diligence and the hard work that you guys have put into preparing also before we close i've got to give a shout out to alex sims from the university of auckland she brought us together an amazing blockchain leader in her own right doing amazing things out there in new zealand so anybody who's listening in please do go follow alex go check out the work that she's doing thanks very much guys for joining today please do keep in touch please do keep us updated with your news and stay safe out there Thanks again for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. As always, opinions in this episode are mine and those of my guests alone. If you want to find out more, please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Check out some of the other episodes on the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast and check out the YouTube channel, also called Blockchain Won't Save the World. Stay safe out there.